Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up today where we left off last time as we looked at what it means to walk worthy of the call. If you remember, we've transitioned now with Paul from looking in this letter at who we are in Christ to looking at what it means to live that out. How then shall we live? And where Paul pictured us to begin with as seated with Christ in the heavenly places, raised from death to life and seated with him in the heavenly places. He's turned now from talking of how, who we are to how then shall we walk? How then shall we walk? How then shall we live? From being seated to how then shall we walk? So he began in chapter four saying, walk in a manner worthy of the call. And then later, in the middle of chapter 4, that we should no longer walk as those who don't know Jesus, who live only for themselves, but rather that we should walk, at the beginning of chapter 5, in love, where he says, rather than love ourselves, we should live out our lives loving others, where he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk as those who love, because we have been doubly loved. Loved by God and loved by Christ. So we need to no longer, we no longer have to live a life loving only ourselves, but then are freed up to love others. But sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves slipping back into old ways, don't we? We find ourselves slipping back into old ways and sometimes loving again only ourselves. So in our passage today, Paul is going to warn us what we get if we go back to walking like we used to walk. That's what he's going to address today. We're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, and you can follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, and I'll read through to the end of verse 21. This is God's word. Paul says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we come to some of the most practical points of this book. But our tendency when Paul gets most practical is to shy away from that. Because while Paul is most practical, it's at these points, Lord, that are likewise the most uncomfortable. But I pray today, I pray today, even as we just sang, that your word would hit us like it was meant to that it would do the work you intended it to do from the day that it was written, that we would be together light. And that in the community of KBC, there would be no darkness. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. There's nothing quite like, there's nothing quite as pathetic as watching someone stuck in the middle of a love triangle. Have you seen this? Have you lived this? There's nothing quite as pathetic as watching someone stuck in the middle of a love triangle, constantly running after a lover that will never love them in return, always rejecting, never reciprocating the love of someone who would love them to the end. There's nothing quite as pathetic. And when I think of love triangles, I always think first, as often as I think of love triangles, I always think first of Marianne Dashwood. Do you know the story? It's brownie points for the lit people in the room. Marianne Dashwood. She is one of the Dashwood daughters in the novel Sense and Sensibility. And she is the embodiment of the latter, led not by reason or rationality, but driven by her emotions. I'm not going to ask who in the room would identify most with Marianne Dashwood, where her sister is sensible and reserved. Marianne is only sensational. 
That's what sensibility meant in Victorian English, that she was driven by her emotions. And for almost the entirety of the novel, Marianne is running after the dashing philanderer, John Willoughby, while shrugging the care of the devoted Colonel Brandon, running after the one who will eventually break her heart while paying no regard to the one who will eventually sacrifice himself to mend it. There's nothing quite as pathetic as watching someone in the middle of a love triangle. Except, if rather than watching that someone, that someone stuck in the middle of that love triangle is you is what Paul in our passage seems to be saying today, that each of us is stuck in the middle of a love triangle. He's laid out for us for three chapters who we are in Christ, telling us that we have been together blessed, that we are together bound, that we have been made together alive and been brought together near and that we are together heirs because we have been together loved. Because of that, he's called us most recently to be together united. And then from our passage last week, that we would be together renewed, ever renewed in our minds to no longer, no longer walk like the world around us walks, only loving itself, but rather having been together doubly loved that we might live a life of love for others, that we might be together renewed. But Paul says, we are so often that someone stuck in the middle of a love triangle. While cared for by our Colonel Brandon, we nonetheless ever go running after our philandering John Willoughby. So Paul takes a moment in our passage today, even though he's already laid out what ought to be the case under Christ, to no longer just show us what it looks like to live out the love that we've been shown in Jesus, but what we get if we go running back to our old ways. And he does this by showing how the ways of the world in which we once walked first lead to nowhere. How they second accomplish nothing. And third, how they satisfy never. We so often, even after we've come to Christ, do you know this? We so often, even after we've come to Christ, go running again to the shiny things of this world with all that they promise. But Paul says, beware, remember, living like that leads to nowhere, accomplishes nothing, and satisfies never. So let's look first with Paul. Now, walking in the ways of the world and running after old lovers leads to nowhere. After summarizing in verses 1 and 2 his admonitions to the Ephesians that they should walk in love as those doubly loved, Paul turns in verse 3 to draw that out in contrast to how the world walks. 
He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. That's what these things are, coveting. They are wanting what isn't ours to have. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, as is proper among those made saints, made holy by God. Beyond that, he says, beyond the mere naming of these behaviors, sexual immorality, or more broadly, doing what is dirty, anything dirty, or to get to the heart of it, wanting what isn't ours to have, beyond the fact that these shouldn't be a part of our community's culture, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. The behavior shouldn't characterize our community, but neither should the flippant throwing around of innuendos, whether reading them in a romance novel or perpetuating them around the water cooler with your buddies at work. What one has translated as obscenity, sexual nonsense, and suggestive wit. Let there be none of it. Why? Because Again, such things are inappropriate for those who've come to know Jesus. Or as Paul says in verse 4, even the innuendos are just plain out of place. They don't fit. That should cause some of us to stop in our tracks. Because we too often, I do this myself, I know I do this myself, I allow the world to set the agenda for how I talk and how I walk. And more than that, how I think about these things, because like it or not, our words shape our worldviews. And I let the world set the agenda, even with these particulars, with these things related to our sexuality, because that's what Paul has focused in on here, our sexuality. I let the world set the agenda. We bow to the world's agenda, even if we don't instigate it. A little chuckle, a little smirk. Then it shapes not only how we talk out there, but then how we talk in here. And eventually, our words shaping our worldview change the way we think and change the way we act. Paul says, don't do what's dirty, but don't even joke about it. Paul says, no. Instead, he says, Let there be thanksgiving, not the self-sized sort of sex talk that our culture is known for, but the God-sized sort of talk that puts God back at the center for all that God's done for us. Let there be thanksgiving. But it's more than just because such sexual perversions or joking about such sexual perversions are inappropriate among God's people or out of place for God's people. It's because in verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, which Paul goes out of his way here to identify, to define as an idolater, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. He says, everyone who runs headlong into such things has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So it makes no sense for those living under the kingdom to 
and looking forward to the kingdom to live like those who aren't. It makes no sense. Not only is it inappropriate in light of what Christ has done and out of place in light of what Christ has done, it leads to nowhere where God has made a way back to himself, paved a a pathway into the kingdom of Christ to live under the reign of Christ, to come under the care of Christ, running after the things from which we were presumably saved, that from which we, we would be presumably spared. It makes no sense. Because living like that leads to nowhere. But more than just not get us where we think we might be going, this is the pathway to pleasure somehow. Doing it my way or to where every creature ought to want to go back to the creator. Paul says walking like that is actually the reason why the world sits under God's judgment. Paul says in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Try to tell you differently. Do not be deceived, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience, remember, among whom you once walked, chapter 2. And you sat under that same judgment, but have since been made alive. It doesn't make sense to go back. This attitude that it matters not how straight the gate and how charged with punishments the scroll, that I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, is utterly delusional. Because those who seek, those who seek to master their own fates, those who seek to be the captain of their own souls, are doomed to sail their lives into the shipwreck of their own sovereignty. It leads to nowhere. I want to ask here at this point, why sex? This passage is riddled with the language, laced through with the language of sex. Why all of a sudden all the references to sexual immorality and sexual impurity and sexual innuendos, to wanting what was never meant for us to have or wanting what we're not willing to have within the confines of what God intended it for. Why all the talk about sex? And this is important, so listen carefully. Because this is the part of living for oneself and following the ways of the world. It was in Paul's days, it's just as true today. This is the part of living for oneself that is most visibly in friction with what Paul's been describing so far as the ideal of the Christian community. Remember those little ink strips? Go into the dentist, put it between your teeth to check where things were knocking around. 
This is what Paul says. This is the place. It's not everything. It doesn't tell you everything, but it shows you those little ink strips. They show you where it's most in friction, where things are most in friction. And Paul's saying in that sense, up against the gospel and the together united and together renewed community, we're meant to be. Our sexuality is it. How we relate to one another is it. This is where we need to start because this is where it becomes most evident whether we actually know the double love of God and Christ or whether we're still living to love ourselves. Pornography, sexting, an unwillingness to wait, an unwillingness to stay, an unwillingness to do things God's way, it says something about us. The Russian novelist Anne Rand put it this way. A person's sexual choice is the result and sum of their fundamental convictions. Tell me what a person finds sexually attractive, she says, and I will tell you their entire philosophy of life. I think I'd be even a little bit more specific. Tell me whether or not One is living in their sexuality and in whether they relate to others as God intended them to do so. And I'll tell you who they're living for. This is where the friction occurs. Paul says, for those of us who would be, who have been doubly loved, we ought to love not only ourselves, which is the rooted the root of, and evidence most clearly in our sexuality. But we are to love one another. Not only because we've been loved, but because loving only ourselves leads to nowhere. Leads to nowhere. Paul also says it accomplishes nothing. It leads to nowhere in the end, But even now, it accomplishes nothing. It doesn't get us where we think we're going to get to. And it doesn't do for us now what we think it's going to do. Paul says in verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not be together partnering with the world to that end, loving only yourself. For at one time, he says, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, he says, is found in all that is good and right and true. You want to do something in this world? You want to accomplish something in this world? You want to get something out of this life? Walk as children of light. Because walking as children of light, you will bear the fruit of light in all that is good and right and true in what is good, which means it's good for you and it's good for others. It's beneficial all around in what is right, which means it conforms to the very nature of this world and to the very nature of the one who made it. It's in harmony with both creator and creation as it was intended. And in what is true, which means that at the end of the day, the fruit you bear and what you do will be done honestly with no ulterior motive. Can you imagine? 
can do a lot of things with ulterior motives. But live as children of the light so you might bear the fruit of light in all that is good and right and true. So how do you do it? Walk as children of light and try, Paul says in verse 10, by trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's it. That's the key, to care more about what God wants than about what you want. Because what God wants matters. And what God wants is better than what you want. It's better for you. It's better for those around you. It's better all around. He knows better. He understands better. And he wants what's better. If you want to do something with your life and accomplish something in this life and get something out of your life, you have to do so according to the one who gave you life. There's no other way about it. You have to care more about what he wants than about what you want because living for yourself accomplishes nothing. This is what Paul says in verse 11. Take no part, he says, in the unfruitful works of darkness. Want to bear fruit? Live for God. Want to not? Live for yourself. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, uncover them for what they are. For it is shameful, he says, even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and this is not, this is not some verse from the Old Testament. This is what they would sing among the early Christians. They would sing, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Rather than run after the world and turn back to old ways, which lead to nowhere and accomplish nothing, Paul says we ought to live our lives exposing the darkness for what it is. That we would be together light, defined by it and doing it. While the world tries to justify itself, that we would spend our lives revealing its bankruptcy, that those living in the darkness might one day be light as well. We're meant to be the children who, despite all opinions to the contrary, have the courage to point out that the emperor has no clothes. The point is that those who are naked otherwise would come to be clothed in Christ. You know, a dear friend of mine early in his career um, was working in New York City. Had a lifetime of being a light in the business world and was known as a Christian even back then at the beginning of his career uh, by the decisions he made and, and how he lived in the corporate world. But he tells the story of those early days and a time his company was in the midst of layoffs. A man who had always been critical up to that point in the midst of that time came running up to him, evidently wanting to talk, and came running up and uh, wanting to talk. But that particular day, uh, my friend, this friend of mine, had no time for it. So he he said a little, a few words, and then dismissed himself and went 
on to whatever he had to do. It was the last time he saw this man. The man left work, went and took his life, threw himself off the Palisades Cliffs, right, overlooking the George Washington Bridge. And this friend of mine who had a lifetime in business of living as a light for Christ never lost another opportunity to shine light on the bankruptcy of the American dream, climbing the corporate ladder. This man had come. He was one of the ones laid off that day and was left with nothing. And this is the role, Paul says. Don't turn back. Don't go running after old lovers. Instead, be light, exposing that for what it is, that the John Willoughby's of our world would be known for who they are. The sex, the money, the power, that it will never do what you think it's going to do. To shine light and be the one to call out that the emperor has no clothes. Paul says to turn back to the ways of the world, it leads to nowhere, it accomplishes nothing. And lastly, it satisfies never. Paul says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, redeeming the time, because he says the days are evil. They are fleeting, but they are also in our present world riddled with evil where evil lurks and evil lies and where the evil one wants nothing more than for you to believe the lie. Paul says, buy back the time. Redeem the time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I I just want to take a moment to focus our attention on this contrast that Paul draws between being wise and unwise wise and foolish. Wisdom is characterized rather consistently throughout the Bible as living in God's world, God's way, with God at the center of it. You can take that definition with you and travel the scriptures with it. Living in God's world, God's way, with God at the center of it. And being foolish is the opposite. It's living in God's world, my way living in God's world as if it's my world with me at the center of it. Wisdom and foolishness. But Paul here isn't trying to define these terms. He's assuming the definition and playing with them. And to understand what he's getting at, I think the most helpful questions to ask is what's so foolish about living foolishly? What's so unwise about living unwisely? What's so unwise about living in God's world as if it's my world? What's foolish about it is that living like that will never satisfy. Which is really just another way of saying that it will accomplish nothing Because it leads to nowhere. 
Paul is saying throughout this entire passage that having found Christ, it makes no sense to then go running again after the shiny things of this world or buying back into the lie in which we once lived. Walking again in the ways of the world in which we are not supposed to any longer want to walk. So that the most foolish thing anyone can do is live foolishly in God's world because expecting it to lead to happiness, you'll find it leads nowhere. Going after everything, you'll find it accomplishes nothing. And thinking that by it, you will thereby find fulfillment, you'll find, in fact, that it satisfies never. The missionary Jim Elliott was famous for saying, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul says he is the greatest fool who having found what he cannot lose, goes running after again what he cannot keep. Some of you will know the name Russell Brand. He is a brash, English-born, avowedly anti-religious Hollywood comedian. He is in many ways the embodiment of what Paul earlier vilifies in this passage. He is sexually promiscuous, sexually perverse, and one continuous walking sexual innuendo. But in an interview recently, Brand shed a light, a little light on what our American culture often holds up as the height of satisfaction. This is what he says. He says, I thought it would be good to be rich and famous, to have stuff, to have money, to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited. I've been inside now, and I've seen the other side of the looking glass, and it ain't flipping worth it. It ain't flipping worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. Paul says, redeem the time for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not buy into the lie of the world that walking the way the world walks is going to lead to somewhere it doesn't or accomplish something it can't or satisfy ever it won't, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me just finish out these verses because this is where it hits home for those of us who do get caught running after the shiny things. It says in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Want to go to the forge? That's okay. Not wine. (laughs) Do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another, he says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. I said earlier on that thanksgiving, giving thanks, is the kind of speech our community ought to be characterized by. Against the lie this world is attempting to sell that we ought to be recognizing all of life as a gift from God. But Paul's focus here, as much as it encompasses everything and all of life, his focus is that all of life ought to be seen through the lens of what secured life in the first place. We ought to always and in every way give thanks to God for the life that's been made possible by his son's death. The word here that Paul uses to give thanks, as well as the word at the end of verse 4, is a word that came, and even in Paul's time, was a word closely associated with, coming right out of the ministry of Christ himself, a word that was associated with the cross. The word is Eucharist, which in higher church settings is what we would have called what we celebrated last week, the broken body, the shed blood, So that when you give thanks, it's always through the lens of the cross. Let me leave you then with two encouragements. First, let me encourage you to play your part in confronting this world. That the life, that the lie that running after John Willoughby will lead somewhere or accomplish something or ever really satisfy is precisely that. It's a lie that we are running after what will ultimately break our hearts and running away from the one who has sacrificed everything to mend them. Do not be ashamed to play your part in pointing out that the emperor has no clothes. You can push on that all day because it's a lie. It's a lie, and even Russell Brand knows that. But secondly, let me encourage those of you who have found yourself, even this week, running again after shiny things. Let me encourage you to tell yourself over and over and over again that they will lead to nowhere, that they will accomplish nothing, and that they will satisfy never. But don't stop there. Because frankly, each one of us is more than equipped to twist even those truths when we're left to ourselves. Which is why Paul says we're to do this in community. We're meant to do this together. That we need this as much as the world needs this that we need to remind each other of the bankruptcy of living for ourselves and that we need to sing about that and sing about what we've been given in Christ in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All focus on the cross that we might submit to one another. Not because we get to tell each other what we want or tell each other how to live according to my desires but because we're supposed to be telling each other what God wants and what God's done in Christ. So if you're here today, and even this week, have found yourself running after the shiny things in life, don't go it alone. 
There's nothing for you. You will trick yourself. Find somebody here. Coffee. Always coffee. Do coffee. I don't drink coffee. I do, but just find somebody here. That's what this is for. Even as we're pointing out to the world the same thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may we be a people who do just that. Ever reminding one another, calling each other back, and calling this world to the life available in Jesus. In his name I pray. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.